Our scripture reading today comes from John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, where he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in the place, and fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although, although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Amen. All right. We're good? We're good. All right, we're good. Um, yeah, as we get going, would you just take a moment? I just feel like it's appropriate today at this moment just to take uh, just a second here to, to pray for our nation. You know, I know many of you have, have seen have been affected by victims of, of, of violence, particularly from people of, uh, people of faith have been victims of violence this weekend. So it's been heavy on my heart. I know many of yours. So let's just take a moment. Can we do that? To pray for our nation that we love and trust God to, to help us. Lord, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray for those victims of violence today and their families. Lord, we pray for our nation. Would you forgive us for our violence, for hate where it exists and selfishness where it exists. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to be people of peace. Uh, give us grace to have, for our leaders to be people of peace who talk of that and who work and labor for that, for all people. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you uh, for that. And again, man, uh, welcome today. We believe in that, that God's people can pray. Um, more than that for sure, but not less than that. But anyway, let's get going here. And we're looking at uh, our final week uh, at the Gospel of John, at the love of God in the Gospel of John. And before we begin, let me just give you a quick sneak peek as to where we're going next week. Next week we'll be beginning a brand new series called The People of Mosaic. And we're going to be taking a look during the month of November at the impact that we can make when we give and when we serve and when we love. I think it's going to be really great. And some of you, if you're keeping score at home. You know what next week is on our church calendar. It's the first Sunday in November. That doesn't just mean it's the good daylight savings week, which it is. It's a good one we all like. Uh, But it's the first Sunday in November. It's a really big deal around here. If there were ever a week to invite your friends and your family and your neighbors, it's next Sunday. If you're new today, you're thinking, man, aren't you going to tell me? No, I'm not. You're going to have to show up and trust me and experience it. You'll be glad that you did. So today, we're looking at the last chapter, the last story, the last scene in the Gospel of John, and there's a reason that John puts what you just heard last. He puts it last so that you and I, so that we won't miss it, because in a real way, it summarizes everything he's shown us all along in his book. And here, in the last scene of the book, we see Jesus having been crucified. We looked at that. Having been resurrected. Saw that last week. Now here, he's on a beach. He's on a beach having breakfast with a man named Peter. And I've just got one point today. Yeah, just one. Why are you clapping? I'm insecure now. That doesn't mean it's any shorter. You're not getting out of here sooner, but anyway. You're applauding my courage, apparently, so I, I liked you. All right, one, one point, one question to ask of the passage today. Here it is. What is Jesus doing for Peter? What's he doing for Peter? I think if we can see what Jesus does for Peter in the life of Peter, we can see what he wants to do for us in our lives as well. So what's he doing for Peter? Oh, we're going to take a little bit of a journey today. We'll begin in the Gospel of Matthew. After Jesus is resurrected, everybody say after. Before this moment, say before. Before Peter on a beach, Jesus tells these women who have seen him alive, he says to them, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, to that beach. There they'll see me. Now, this is amazing. I want to highlight this one word. He says, go tell who? My brothers. Now think about all he could have called those blankety-blank disciples, right? I know about you, if that were me, I probably would have said something like, you go tell those faithless, backstabbing cowards uh, that I'm back, baby. Just like I said. Oh, I did say that, didn't I? How about that? You go tell them to get ready to grovel because that's what it's going to take because they abandoned me. No. He says, go tell my brothers. It's amazing. And then over in Mark's gospel, we see an angel go even further. He says, go tell Jesus' brothers and Peter to go meet him there in Galilee. You say, ask, well, why was Peter singled out? Oh, because if the rest of them 
had been bad. Peter had been the worst. When the moment of pressure came, when the moment to stand for Jesus came, Peter denied he had ever known Jesus three times. Oh, when Jesus was under a false trial, being led away to be tortured, Peter denied he ever knew him. And then over Luke's gospel, it says when Peter did that, when he denied Jesus, it says that he called down curses. It wasn't on the Romans wasn't on the Jews, wasn't even on himself. No, commentators believe Peter was calling down curses on Jesus. As if to say, I could never, ever be associated with somebody like him. But now Jesus, oh, he's been resurrected. Peter's seen the empty tomb. Peter's seen him alive in the upper room, but something's going on here because now something's happening within Peter and his own words betray his own heart. What's happening? Oh, here it is. Peter is now going back to his old life. He's going back to his old life. Look at verse two. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, two other disciples are together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. There's so much in this. And this means in a very real way, Peter, catch this, he has forgotten who he is. You know, his name's been changed, right, by Jesus. He's been called a rock. Jesus said to him, you know, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. Now, some of you don't like that interpretation. You think I don't like that? Man, the Roman Catholics believe that. I don't care. Exegete it yourself. That's what he's saying. He said, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. He's been personally trained by Jesus, yet he's letting it all go, going back to his old life. He's a fisherman. Why? Why is Peter doing this? Why is he fishing? Oh, Peter is fishing because Peter is too ashamed of who Peter is and what Peter has done. He thinks he can never, ever be accepted by Jesus Christ again. He's drowning, here's the word, in shame and self-loathing. Here's why. Peter, all those, his disciples, they didn't live like we do for the most part in an individualistic culture centered around guilt and guilt feelings from our choices. Peter, those men, they lived in a shame and honor culture centered around not private activity, but public identity. Not what you've done But what other people say that you are, that's how you got your feeling about who you were and how good you felt about yourself. Now, what does that look like? Some of you are staring at me. Let me give you a couple of examples to try to help you feel this a little more. First, some of you may have seen the old movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yeah, it's a good one. And in the movie, Nia Vardalos, who plays Tula. She's the unmarried daughter uh, in a traditional Greek family. She comes to her parents one day, great scene, and she says, Mom, Dad, guess what? I've decided to take some uh, courses at a local community college. Then the camera cuts to her mom, who just does this. Then it cuts back to her dad, who has burst into tears. And through his tears and his, you know, you know his histronics, he says, Why are you doing this to us? <laughs> And she's like, what are you talking about? Dad, I thought you said that you wanted me to do something with my life. And he says, I did. I wanted you to get married and have babies. What's he expressing there? Shame over her status 
as an unmarried daughter and still living in his home. That's what the movie's about. What she did or didn't do made him look a certain way in the eyes of the community. See, it's not about a private activity. It's about public identity. That's that's shame. Let me take it just one step further. Take a look at this video in just a moment. We don't maybe we get that, that movie, how they're thinking, but maybe you remember this. The words of the uncle uh, of the, the man, the Chechen bomber, uh, who, who bombed the Boston Marathon just a few years ago. It was fascinating. His uncle got up to address the media after the bombing. And when the uncle got up to address the reporters, this is what he said. Listen to, what, listen to his language here in this video. He put a shame. He put a shame on the Tsarnaev Tsar family, Tsarnaev's family. He put a shame on the entire Chechen ethnicity. Because everyone now names, they play with word Chechen. So they put that shame on the entire ethnicity. Now you hear that, and many of us from the West, especially Western, you know, know, white culture, we don't get that at all. We think, how could one person bring shame on a whole culture in someone's eyes? We We don't get that. We don't feel like that. We don't feel like that uncle. We feel like that I'm sorry, penguin from the old Far Side cartoon. Far Side cartoon. This guy gets the penguin gets up and says in a crowd, he says, "I just gotta be me." Oh, I just gotta be me. Now that's that's more uh, where many of us are coming from. But let me tell you, Peter's not thinking that here. He's not thinking, I just got to be me. I got to throw off the, you know, the oppressive social restraints I'm under, you know, and, and, and generate positive feelings through my choice to self-actualize. Well, Peter is feeling drowning in shame. Why? You know, because not only did he abandon his leader in a culture where loyalty is everything, he called down curses on him, shame on him, and the man he knew was God. See, what Peter has done here is about the worst thing you could do in that culture. So then, what in the world is Jesus doing for Peter on this beach? Now, you've got to catch this. If you do, you'll get the power for what Peter experienced and the power for what can change your life as well. Here it is. Jesus is covering Peter's shame. That's what's happening. Jesus is covering Peter's shame because Peter's got one status here. He's a failure, an outcast, but Jesus, as we're about to see, he's about to cover his shame, and here's why this matters for us. What Jesus is about to do for Peter in covering his shame, this whole story, this whole scene, this is a picture of Christian salvation. This is what it means for God to come into a person's life, because in a real way, by covering Peter's shame, Jesus is saving Peter's soul. Saving his soul. And I want to tell you, I want to try to show you here quickly that this way of seeing the gospel, I want to try to show you that, that yes, while the, while the forgiveness of guilt and sins is a major part of the Christian faith of salvation, that in reality, the covering of shame is the, here it is, dominant narrative theme of the whole Bible. It's a way of saying that's what all the stories are really all about. All the stories are about this. Almost every Bible story is about it. Let me give you four examples quickly. The story of Job, number one. When Job goes through his ordeal, what's it about? What does he say? Well, notice when he loses everything, his family, his health, uh, you know, his own, he says, my breath is offensive to my wife. Some of you ladies have been there. All right, but anyway, he goes further. Notice the relational language that he uses. He says, my close friends have forgotten me. 
My guests and maidservants count me as a what? What does he say? Oh, I'm like an outsider. The worst thing in that culture. All my intimate friends abhorred me. God has stripped from me my glory. The word means honor. Taken the crown from my head. See, the story that that drives the, the book and what readers would have wondered in that time is this. How is Job gonna get his honor back? So honored. No one like him, God says. In all the culture, all the world. How's Job gonna get his honor back? We read it and ask, because we're people with the Bill of Rights. What right does God have to do that to him? Job's readers would have asked, how's Job's shame going to be recovered? Who's going to answer all his questions here? We look for an answer. They look for honor. That's why the book ends. Come on, final scene of Job. What? He's restored. He's got his family back. He's got his money back. He's got his business wealth back. What was the gospel, therefore, to Job in a sense? What did salvation look like? It was A, New status for Job. New status. What about Abraham? Second person character story. God comes to him, and when God comes to Abraham, he doesn't say, Oh, behold, Abraham, I'm going to forgive you, buddy, because your sin as an idol worshiper is great. No, what does he say? Chapter 12 of Genesis. He said, Abraham, I am going to make what? Your, come on, name great. Your name was everything. What's the gospel to Abraham then? Come on. A new status, trading an old name for a new one with great status, third character story. What about Naomi? Book of Ruth, her ordeal. See, what's she going through? No sons, a dead husband. And then, and then, and then last chapter, a grandson is born. What do they do? They take uh, the grandson, they put it on Naomi's lap. It's the last snapshot of the book. They say, look what God's done. He has not forgotten you. See, the last scene of the book is not about Ruth. It's about beginning to end the covering of Naomi's shame as a widow with no heirs. Therefore, what was the gospel to Naomi? A new status. Yeah, one more. What about Daniel? Lied about, excluded by his peers, business uh, partners because of his faith. Some of you are going through that, aren't you? Yeah, you are. When he survives his ordeal in the lion, literal lion's den, some of you in a proverbial lion's den. He's in a literal lion's den. When he comes out, what does he get? Oh, he gets exalted, doesn't he? Promoted. Therefore, what was the gospel to Daniel? What did his salvation look like? A new Status. Now think of all that. Now consider what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi centuries later. Paul said, look, 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 at, look at Jesus. He says, even being, he says, being found, chapter 2, in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why does he say even? Oh, it's because crucifixion was the most shameful way to die in that culture. Verse 9, but look at the next words. Therefore, God has what? Highly exalted him and bestowed on him. The what? The name. Oh, there's echoes of Abraham there. The name, the great name that's above every name. And therefore, listen, the Bible says what God gave to Jesus, he wants to give to us. And what then is the gospel for us, church? A new status. One that doesn't just move us from guilt to innocence, though it does, but from shame to honor, being honored by God. You say, that's nice. Well, man, that's what drove them then. I'm an individual, and I don't care what anybody says about me. 
come on. Wrong. I would say liar, but I'm not going to say that. That's you. All right, don't lie to yourself. All right. Our culture is increasingly shame-based, isn't it? I mean, what's every single commercial about? If you don't buy the truck, what are you? You're a loser like that guy, right? You don't get this phone. Oh, you're like that loser over there. It's all about shame. Watch him. Many of you know the name Brene Brown. She's a person of faith researcher. She, her research fairly proves that shame is behind not all, but a lot of our depression, our anxiety, eating disorders, bullying, sexual assault in our culture, suicide. See, shame makes us exclude others. Why? We're trying to get back a status that we've lost, and therefore we form groups based around some kind of thing, our ethnicity, maybe our wealth, right? We like hanging around wealthy people in wealthy places because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Or some of us, we get really good at stuff like sports or our job, not for the sake of the thing, but for the sake of the status. What are we after? Oh, a covering for shame. Do you think shame might have something to do with gang conflicts? tribal warfare, abuse, terrorism. I think so. One nation, one group feels shame by the other. Now begins to act in kind to get their honor status back. Where does all this come from? Now this is where the Bible is astounding. And here's, here's my main thought today. The Bible shows us that our real shame comes from fundamentally, here it is, a loss of status with God. A loss of status with God. It makes sense, doesn't it? Because shame's got everything to do with relationships, not feeling accepted by them, feeling ridiculed by them, that family, that person, not included by them. And so we begin to push ourselves to be great, to somehow rise above and get a new status, or we begin to lose hope, and we begin to act in ways that show we don't think we can ever get our honor, our name back. We begin to take and medicate with pills, Alcohol, perhaps. Some of us cut ourselves. It's an epidemic in our culture, in our schools today. It just is. But let me tell you, those things we do, those are just symptoms of a deeper issue. It's the shame we feel because we've all dishonored God, lost our status with him. Think about this. When people were made, and by the way, made to be very good, Genesis 3, God has said, use his glory to cover humanity. Adam and Eve were what? Come on, you know the word. (laughs) Brett from Georgia, this is N-E-K-K-I-D. He said naked right there. All right, yeah. They were naked. They had no clothes and didn't even feel shame. See, nakedness was a, a symbol of shame in ancient cultures. The Romans, think about it, they stripped Jesus naked. Why? To shame him. But when they, those cultures would have read Genesis 3 when they saw that, they would have been shocked at the implication. Do you mean people can be ultimately, totally, cosmically shameful and yet not even feel it because they can be so close to knowing and experiencing the true and living God? His glory covers them so totally they don't even feel it. Yes, that's what it means. So their nakedness, that's a, that's a theological implication there. Why? Because the gospel is about a status reversal, going from shame to honor, from disrespect 
to respect outsider to insider. We saw it with Job, Abraham, Naomi, Daniel, Jesus, and it's happening. Oh, back to the passage right here with Peter. And here's how you can know it. It's an American missionary researcher. His name is Jason George, and he was a missionary in Central Asia for decades. Did a ton of research on this topic, and he writes that for honor to be recovered by the, a person who's shamed or shameful, someone's got to come along, a wealthy person, a patron, a king, and he's got to come along and do five specific things in particular. First, he doesn't expose the shamed one. He communicates indirectly. He reconciles symbolically. He asks for help. He extends lavish hospitality. So what's Jesus doing for Peter? Come on. All five at once. Look at this. Does he expose Peter first? Bring up his shame? No, he doesn't. Does he communicate indirectly? Yeah. He asks Peter, do you love me? It's vague ambiguous, but Peter knows what's going on. Third time, what does it say? He's grieved. His heart is broken. He knows what's going on. Does Jesus symbolically reconcile? Yes, because where are they? Come on. They're on a beach. What's this? Jesus originally called Peter to follow him where? On a beach. See, the beach is a symbol of his calling, of his standing, of his honor. Does Jesus ask for Peter's help? Yeah, he says, feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Help me, Peter. Does Jesus extend lavish hospitality? Oh, you better believe it. He brought in 153 fish for a breakfast with eight people. Talk about all you can eat. Lavish hospitality. What's Jesus doing? Come on. Same thing God did for Adam, did for Eve. Back in Genesis 3, when they lost their status, honor with God, something had to die. An animal had to die. Now Jesus, the Lamb of God, has to die to cover our shame, Peter's shame. He see, he's bringing salvation into Peter's life here, a reversal of status. What about you? What are you going through today? Some of you, students, when you go to school, campus, high school, college, you walk the halls, you feel so naked, so vulnerable, so exposed, so ashamed because there's a person, there's a group bullying, excluding, whispering, naming, shaming some of you. Maybe you don't have a job today. You feel an insecure about your ability to provide. It's getting at who you are, how you feel about yourself. Maybe some of you, you don't have the right appearance you feel like, but you do. You just feel like, you know, our culture shames you. Your, your skin tone, your weight, your height, your lack of height or whatever, your age, lack of age, it shames you with something. Do you know that God, can you see this, cares about your status? How you feel before him. Some of you men need to hear me. Did you know that the respect that God has for his perfect and matchless son he wants to give to you. Some of you never got that from your fathers. God wants to give it to you. When he looks at his son, oh, he feels about his son. He sees that. He feels that when he looks at you. And here's why this is so important. If you don't get this and if you don't feel this, then you will operate out of shame-based motivations. It's not just likely. Theologically speaking, it is inevitable. Look at Peter here. What does he say? Remember his words at the story, the beginning? He says, I'm what? I'm going fishing. It's a statement of shame. He's going back to his old status, his old job. At least I can do this, he's thinking. I may be a failure as a disciple. I can still do this. 
But let me tell you, especially for many of us men, feeling and experiencing the respect and honor the king, our patron in a way, has for us, changes everything. And let me tell you, I know because I have needed it. I've needed it. Because when people, I know this is going to be hard to believe, when they get offended by me, crazy, right? Disappointed by me for something really I did. Maybe something I didn't do. They wanted, hurt them in some way. Or and if they begin to speak badly about me, leave, begin to slice up my reputation, the church's reputation. It's all I can do to not retaliate in turn, slice their reputation up. And thereby, if I do that, perpetuate a cycle of shame in the world. Or on the other hand, I may be tempted like Peter think, man, forget this church stuff. I'm going fishing. <laughs> don't, man, don't look at me like that. Come on. You know, you know, you know. What do I need? I need Jesus on a beach with me, taking time with Jesus. You need this fellowship with Jesus, a meal in a sense, with a supernatural presence and word of the living Christ becomes real to me and floods my heart and fills my vision to the point where I don't see or feel all that other surrounding stuff, sense of shame anymore. See, hear me. The gospel isn't just about getting a new life, though it is. It's about living a new life. It gives you the power for it here. Some of you, some of you, not all of you, some of you women, some of you, you feel like you're nothing unless you got someone to love you. Not all of you, but some of you certainly, because the culture speaks many times to women, like that dad in that big fat Greek wedding movie, to be someone, right? To not feel ashamed. You got to have the man, the wedding, the baby, the whatever's on the cover of the magazine. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you got that, but now you, you lost it. There's some betrayal. There's some broken promise. Maybe he's just not there like he used to be. And you're tempted, like Peter, to say, I'm going fishing. You want to see what a fisherman looks like? I'll show you a fisher of men. I can still catch me a man, right? I'll catch a man. Loves me, cherishes me like I need her. He did it, and that's not all of you. No, 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 your issue is something else, but that's some of you. But do you know what? Let me tell you, if that's you, you have that man. His name is Jesus. And the love, the perfect love that his father feels for him. Our Father God wants to pour into your heart over and over again. You need time on a beach with Jesus. Do you know God cares about your status? how you feel in that way before him. Look at Luke 15. It's been called a gospel. Within the gospel, Jesus tells a story, a parable, about two shameful sons in that culture. The younger son brings shame on the father, on the family, because he wanted his father's inheritance. You only wanted, you only got the inheritance, that is, when the father died. So to want your inheritance now meant you publicly wished for your father to be dead. And yet the father gives it. What does the son do? Squanders it. Wild living, prostitutes, sin, parties, lifestyle. And he finds himself in the middle of being a pig farmer. Why does Jesus say pigs? Pigs were shameful, unclean animals. He's at the bottom. Then it says, he remembered his father. Some of you need to remember your father today. 
He goes back covered in the pig filth. What does the father do? Literally covers that son's shame with his own robe, his own ring, extends him lavish hospitality. But there was another shameful son, the older son, who had also experienced the shame brought on him because of his younger brother's behavior. But when the father throws the party for the son, the older son now, shames his father, rebukes him publicly. You would never do that to a Middle Eastern patriarch and refuses his father's hospitality. He doesn't go in. And the story ends with the father pleading for that son to come in. Two sons both shamed the family. The father covers them both, own wealth at his own cost. But did you know why Jesus told the parable? Oh, it's beautiful. It says he told the parable because the Pharisees were grumbling. They were angry because Jesus was loving, eating with tax collectors and sinners, it said. They were offended. Jesus used his own reputation as an honorable rabbi to cover their shame, social standing. And they, didn't, they were mad because they were free on the inside. No, it says they did this. They excluded the outsider because they wanted approval from people rather than God. And there it is. There it is. There it is. What drives you today? We all come in with a kind of cosmic crisis. We're separated from God, and even for us, for us who would call ourselves Christians, we feel sometimes separated from God because we, we, our hearts drift towards getting approval from that thing or that political party or that group over there, we, or we break God's law. Let me tell you, those of you who break God's law, you do it because you have a broken relationship with God. We think, if I get this thing, I'll get back the status that I've lost somewhere, but it won't because the problem's shame. Like Adam and Eve, we exist, hear me, as a banished people, alienated. We need to be reconciled and restored. What Jesus is doing for Peter on a beach is a picture of what he wants to do in your life today right now. You say, how can I know that? Like this. Remember those five things I said that a person with great honor does for the shamed? Look at what Jesus has done for us. First, the honored one doesn't expose the dishonored. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? He didn't say, Father, shame them. He didn't say, Father, expose them. What, Father, forgive them, cover them, forget what they've done. They don't know what they're doing. Why? Jesus was exposed that we could be covered. Second, the honored one communicates indirectly. How did he teach? Luke 15, come on, parables, mysteries. Third, the honored one reconciles. How? Symbolically. And what is, friend, the cross, if not the greatest symbol of reconciliation the world's ever known? You see that on a church, on a car, on a bumper sticker. What is it? Reconciliation is a symbol of forgiveness and honor. The honored one forth asks for help from the dishonored. What does Jesus, our honored one, ask from us? He's asked us to go now into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, teaching what? In his name. Baptizing in whose name? His name. The honored name forgives us of sins in whose name? His, not ours. Fifth, the honored one extends lavish hospitality. Oh, hasn't Jesus compared his kingdom to what? A feast. And hasn't he promised an eternal feast 
for those who follow him, yes. So let's ask, did what he held out for Peter, did it work? Yes, it did. Look at Jesus' final words to him. Truly, truly, Peter, the truest thing I can say to you is this. When you were young, (laughs) you used to do what you wanted, Peter. Remember that bit where you denied me, Peter? (laughs) You did what you wanted. But when you're old, one day, you're going to love me so much, Peter. You're going to feel so covered by me, Peter. You're going to be so reconciled to me, Peter. You're going to stretch out your hands. And people are going to lead you where you don't want to go. And in essence, you're going to die for me, Peter. That's how much. What I'm doing for you is going to change your life. And history, church history records Peter was crucified just like Jesus. Peter was forever restored. Do you, do you know this today? Do you have this today? It can be yours right now. Before we pray, let me just encourage you, exhort us here as a church. You need people around you to remind you of what Jesus has said about you. Jesus doesn't get Peter off in a corner alone. He honors him, restores him publicly in a group. Why? So that they can remind Peter of what Jesus has already said about him. This is what we do when we gather as a church. We gather in our community groups, our small groups. We remind each other of what Jesus has said and done for us. We keep those feelings of shame out, motivations of shame out, and become who we were meant to be all along. Can you say amen, amen, amen?